This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. My name is Chris Tran. Currently, I'm living in Vietnam as a content creator and teacher. Thank you, Chris. First of all, congrats on like all of the work that you've done. I, uh, I've been following for a long time and our mutual friend, M Melissa, reached out and she was like, I, I want to introduce you to this person. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I didn't realize it was you who were making all these videos because I'd been following for a long time. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about about today because there's a lot of intersection between what you do and what I do. And uh, it, it's like you're you're a replica of what I'm doing, but in a much more entertaining way because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm having a lot of dialogue and conversations, uh, sometimes a little too academic. So thank you for being here. I love that stuff too. I love that stuff too. My stuff's all over the place. So like, yeah, I love a little bit of academic. So I'm, I'm ready. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born in Northridge and uh, my family was just like all around that area, just around the 818 mostly. It sounds like you were growing up alongside Vietnamese, but it wasn't like it was like really jung. It wasn't like perfect yet, right? No, definitely not. I would say it was, you know, just growing up watching my cousins and other friends around my age, you know, I felt like it was more jung than other yeah. people, like my generation. And I think I attribute that to, I mean, mainly my mom, because <laughs> she was so strict, because I still have a really clear memory of her just telling me like, you're Vietnamese, you're going to speak Vietnamese because I don't speak English. <laughs> like it was that simple for her. You know, it's like, I want to be able to talk to you. So we're going to speak Vietnamese. And so in my house, like it was just a, a rule. It was a tradition to speak to my parents in Vietnamese, my mom and my dad. I mostly remember my mom saying that rule. I think my dad was more lax about it, you know, but my mom was like really strict about that. And then the fact that also like my half brother and half sister, these are my dad's kids, they came over later. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't come until I was like maybe five or six. And when they came over, you know, it was already like a predominantly Vietnamese household uh, with, you know, when my little sister, she was just a baby. But with my older siblings coming over and they came with a bunch of my cousins and they all just, they, they, they didn't speak any English, you know? And I thought like, they were so cool. Like I just wanted to hang out with them all the time. Yeah. So I just tagged along and like, since no one spoke any English, I had to speak Vietnamese. So it kind of forced me to do it. And like, I was around it so much. And then my family's huge. You know, my mom has like seven brothers and sisters. Um, aunts and uncles were always over. They were like, usually living with us too we we always had like at least i don't know two uncles sleeping over and like you know their their eventually their wives and like you know it was always packed and just full of vietnamese like loud vietnamese all the time 
So I just like found myself like just immersed in all these like stories in Vietnamese and like jokes and like all this stuff. And like, I think as a, as a kid, I was just kind of like absorbing all of it, you know, but it was like a very informal Vietnamese, you know? So yeah, I would definitely say it's not Jung, but I think it gave me like the mechanics of the language pretty early. You know, so I can I could mime things that my uncle did, and and that's happening now again with some of my content, you know. But um, in terms of vocabulary and like grammar and like you know, I could never make like an eloquent speech. I don't, I can't even do that now because I never heard that in Vietnamese. You know, it was just like jokes and nhau language. You know, like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say to him, but like a lot of aversion since I was a kid. I grew up the exact same way. We had uh, cousins that came over, older cousins that were stuck in the camps for like two, three years. By the time they got here, they were just cool. And they showed me how to play basketball. And they were like, used all the slang and all the aunties and uncles that were, you know, uh, their parents were, it was a, it was a full household of just Vietnamese. And I think when you are in that world and you're immersed and you're curious about what they're saying because everybody's laughing and it's just, uh, yeah. just a, a roar of, of, of energy in the house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> truly relate. Now I want to get into some personal stuff about that, the step siblings and, you know, yeah. if you don't feel comfortable, just say so, you know, but did your step siblings and this has nothing to do culture. I'm just curious, but uh, did you, did they come with their mom? their uh your 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 dad's first uh the you know the the baby mama of your 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 dad's uh step uh kids no actually they they didn't and you know even to this point like you know at my age now i i feel like there's so many questions missing pieces to the story that like you know i just don't feel like if my parents aren't going to tell me i'm not going to ask but uh from what i heard like she she just she didn't want to come. She had a life going on already at that point. And my dad was like really trying to sponsor everybody. And it ended up just being my, my older brother, older sister and my cousins that got sponsored over when I was like, yeah, like I said, like five or six. And, and uh, when they came, did they get integrated into your family pretty seamlessly? I would not say seamlessly. Um, I think it was a little awkward you know, because, um, yeah, like, you know, to be completely honest, like, uh, things were pretty volatile, Yeah, you know, like family, when all that came, like the dynamics got pretty weird and my mom wasn't really comfortable with all of it. Uncomfortable or comfortable? And not comfortable. Yeah. You not know, like, yeah. um, you know, like looking back, like she, she really loved my older brother, older sister that, that those weren't her kids. Um, you know, things were harmonious enough, like for the kids, yeah. but like not for my parents, like things got really weird for my parents and they actually split when I was 11. Oh, so like kind of like, you know, crashing and burning. Um, and of course, you know, like as an adult now looking back, like, you know, it was all for the better, but, um, yeah, it wasn't like a seamless integration. And, and I don't, I wouldn't even say it was because of my older brother and older sister, you know, it was probably a lot of things. And I was all, all watching it as a kid, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that because yeah. that was like the first thing that came to my mind when you said that. I was like, wow, because and I bring this up now going back into the cultural side of it. It's very difficult for a blended family, um, especially with 
I want, I want to call it a low tech, low technology. We don't have the language to deal with these sort of integrated situations. You know, we don't know how to separate it. So hearing that your parents sl split up at when you were 11 doesn't surprise me. And I think that um, the American sort of psychology or the American way of sort of dealing with these things is a little bit more open and, and, you know, we, we probably look at, uh, you know, these things in a, in a much more technical way. And we kind of try to absolve issues in a very different way. Yeah. 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 As a kid, I was, I think looking at it almost like through an American lens, you know, like it was very confusing to navigate because all I knew was like what I saw in movies and shows, you know, in yeah. the nineties during that time. And it was like kids trying to get their parents back together, yeah. you know, because it's like marriage is so, you know, sacred. And like, there's this kind of like this, like cuteness to it, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, I'm going to hope my parents get back together. It's like, let's get them on a date, you know, like all these kind of like American things that I was learning as a kid. And it was like, no, nah, dude, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, like the, I, I didn't even understand how complex the issue was as a kid yeah. during that time, you know? And are you, uh, are you close to your older siblings today? Um, not so much, uh, my older sister and I actually lost my brother no, in, in Iraq. Actually. He, ser he served in Iraq. So we lost him, uh, 2008, like right after I finished university. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. And, and, and thanks for being, you know, open up. And I, I know you probably didn't expect this to, to, to take that direction, but I, I like to just go on tangents and, you know, when people get uncomfortable, then they, they would speak up, but you know. I'm, I'm happy to share, you know, and like, honestly, um, I'm happy to do it, especially now after the last like six, seven months kind of doing the content I'm doing and then just having so much, um, you know, positive feedback and people messaging me about how much they relate to my story, sharing about my dad, me coming back to Vietnam. And, you know, I feel like the more open I've been recently the more you know just vulnerable yeah. like a lot of people from the community are like i feel the same way that's my story too and i'm like oh my god that's amazing i've heard that so many times in the last few months that like i don't mind sharing <laughs> i really don't i think it's like uh uh really helpful for our community to hear these stories it's it's unbelievable how much we can relate you know, as a, as a, somebody who is consuming your content for me, it's incredible. I, I probably could speak for a lot of people who watch your videos because it's like you get down to some like nitty gritty details that you're like, oh my God, how is it that we all share these weird attributes, you know? And, you know, to be Vietnamese um, has all of these small little weird things that are happening. And it's like the most obscure things. I'm like, how is it that you picked up on this shit that, you know, that now you yeah. can put in a video and we're like, all oh, like, oh my God, that's us. <laughs> I don't always even do it on purpose. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's actually people in the comments that like say something like, oh my God, we're all related. <laughs> you know, it's like, what really? <laughs> you know, I'm just, this is just my aunt. This is just my uncle, you know, or something that I experienced being like, you know, not joining in the language here in Vietnam and like, you know, true stories. And it's like, you know, the, the reactions I'm like amazed. Yeah. It's really something that across the board, 
a lot of us are experiencing. Now, if anybody digs into your content, they'll understand the uh, the trajectory and and sort of the path that you took. But we're going to go into it anyway, because I I you know for people who have not been introduced to the work that you do, uh, I just want to go through the history of of who you've become. And uh, so I realized that uh, you went to UCLA um, and you you studied was it linguistics or you studied what what, what did you study? I studied history, history. actually. Yeah, and minor in Southeast Asian studies. Oh, Asian Asian studies. Southeast Asian studies. Southeast Asian studies. Okay. And then at what point did you go, you know what? I'd need to get to Vietnam and like crank up my uh my knowledge about the country. Um man, a lot of things in my life, like they don't have a whole lot of intention behind them. <laughs> I'm just kind of drifting along, but my big, like I was, I think I was dealing with a, a, a heartbreak Yeah, during that time. And some of my best buddies at, at UCLA had already graduated. So I was like, dang, I have a year left. What do I do? You know, I need to get away, you know? So I went to the, uh, the study abroad office at UCLA and my intention was to go to Japan and I didn't make the GPA cause you needed Japanese. And I, I took Japanese classes. I, I didn't make the GPA. And then they suggested Vietnam. They're like, Vietnam's still open here, you know, as, as a possibility the Vietnam program. I was like, oh my gosh, wow, cool. You know, like I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, let's do it. So it was kind of by accident. And it, the program just kind of, um, I can't, I can't even explain it. it like blindsided me in a good way. You know, I was just, blown away by what I experienced during that program. This episode is brought to you by Red Boat Fish Sauce. I love cooking with Red Boat because it's made with only two ingredients, wild-caught anchovies and sea salt. This premium fish sauce is made in Phu Quoc, Vietnam and bottled right here in California. You can find Red Boat at select Asian supermarkets like 99 Ranch, H Mart, and Tong Phak. Man, the the accidental serendipitous things that happens to humans that change the trajectory of our lives are it's incredible to think about. Yeah, yeah. And and like yeah, I don't know what it is. You know, like it's that or like maybe it's not an accident, you know, maybe it's, it's, there's something more to it. I I don't know. But yeah, and I ended up in this program. Um this was back in 2006. And it was just absolutely legendary. Like uh, I was, you know, part of like this, I would say like family of like many generations of these uh, students from the UC programs that had done this program in Hanoi with this very legendary director, uh, Gerard Sazgis. Um, the, pro the program no longer is is running. I I'm not sure for, for what reasons, um, but by the time I got there, it might've been like five, six years into it, um, I believe. I hope I'm right here, but I heard that um, actually Ali Wong was in the first generation wow. of this group. And um, yeah, it was our group. I would say, I can't remember, maybe 15, 16 people. I would say about two thirds were Vietnamese Americans. And the program was in Hanoi. And I think all of us agreed after the program, looking back, that that was really meaningful. You know, because my family, you know, my dad included, even though he's a northerner, all grew up in Saigon. 
Yeah. And our community in Southern California, it's like, that was a very much like, you know, most people were coming from uh, the South. Right. And the fact that it was there, um, you know, in, in the beginning, I had this kind of um, ignorance, right? Um, I, I didn't know what to expect. And it, it almost felt like, I, I, I hate to use this word, but it was like, quote unquote, enemy territory. Yeah. Almost. You know, it's just like, whoa. And my, my parents were like, you're going to be out there, you yeah. know? <laughs> and they were saying all these things because I was fed all these ideas about what yeah. to expect, right? And they had never been there. You know, my parents had never been to Hanoi, right? So going there and then just meeting these like other students. We had we had just one class that we studied uh, with the uh, local students. The, the rest of them were just for our group. But man, it was so amazing. Like just getting to know young people my age from a completely different perspective. But like the main thing was just like, they're just so sweet and yeah. kind and welcoming and, and just meeting you know, everyday people on the street and then being confused, you know, because it's like, oh, I, I was still getting accustomed to the dialect and then just like the sensory overload of Hanoi and like all these things. And then, you know, by the end of the five, six months, um, I had friends that I still keep in touch with there and just kind of this point of view about Hanoi and Vietnam and, and all these things that like um, I, I was told stories about. But then once I got there, I was like, it's different. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. People aren't like that. You know, there's like so much more. You got to go there and see, Yeah. you know, and coming back, like I was almost preaching it. You know, I was just like, you guys have no idea. Like you got to go there. And this program itself was like extra special because, you know, we were there, um, you know, doing academic things. You know, we were studying it deeply and our professor uh, Gerard, who is the director, um, he designed this program where for two weeks we we went to the central of Vietnam, and then we basically had like I don't know like a, like a magic school bus type of situation, you know, like we were traveling in like we, we were a traveling classroom, and he would stop at these places, and then he would lecture, you know, we'd have these like group discussions like outside sometimes even you know at these sites yeah and we'd go back we'd re we'd have reading for the night you know and then we had two weeks in the south where we were doing the same thing you know it was almost like no tour you could ever pay for right now you know it was so deep so intimate and so emotional for a lot of us really young Vietnamese Americans to be shown all of that it was just absolutely intense. And then it just left a mark on me to this day. You know, I feel like that's, that's why I'm here now. You know, like I just never, I, I was never able to shake that. And like you said, it's, it's amazing because I never intended to go. <laughs> you know, like it just kind of happened. You know, when we look at your content and we see sort of the editing, the polished final version, it's very entertaining and on some level it's superficial so that we can absorb what we're seeing and many people are um sort of like maybe for the first time they're seeing this sort of um coming together of all this information that you're packaging right but i always say 
behind and inside and deeply the guys that are making these things it's like you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg and now i'm hearing it i'm it's proving that these things are sort of just made so we can digest it but to hear the level of depth that you have experienced many 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 years earlier to show something so concise which is the videos that you make is uh you know we get to peek behind the the curtain and to have the layers of uh years of kind of that experience over and over and over allows you to make something so concise that when we digest it it makes so much sense mm -hmm. yeah that's that's um first of all very flattering <laughs> um but yeah i i i I think you're right. You know, even though I, um, on the surface, I'm like, you know what, first I'm just going to make people laugh, have fun, have a good time and just hear about this like fun experience, funny experience that I had. I just, I, I just want to laugh at myself at the same time, you know? Um, but underneath it, it's just like, um, yeah, there is like a, a, an appreciation for the culture and there's like something deep. Like there's a point of view that I'm I'm coming from that's like uh, informed by like many years and 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 many many experiences that I've had here. Yeah, Chris, this is what one of the things that got me. Right, you did a clip, you did a video on this word, and I was like, how many words does this guy have to have seen? to hit this word because this is the word that I always think about and it's impossible to describe in English. Could you Jack? Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, I thought to myself at that time when I was wa watching, yeah. I was like, out of all the damn words you could pick in the Vietnamese language, you pick this word, which yeah. is exactly what I had been thinking about for so many decades, <laughs> that one word. So the mountain and the layers of sort of like, learning Vietnamese words to come out and pick out this one word, this strange word that has no, really no translation, you know, yeah. in, in English. And Jack is like, it's not sour. Well, it's not salty. It's not savory. It's not sweet. It's not, it, Jack is a sort of like a, a, a position on the tongue. It's a, it's a feeling on the tongue that, uh, yeah. that it's so difficult to describe. But I thought to myself, it triggered that thought. Like, there's no yeah. way that anybody who's just like <laughs> traveling in Vietnam, learning words can just like all of a sudden pick up that, that particular word. You have to have like a lot well, of years to me. I've felt that confusion for <laughs> decades. You know, it was just kind of like, I think it's all, I think there's more there. There's like, like endless amounts of these things that have been like, we've been wondering about for like decades it's just like what is that you know well what's what's really cool is like I, I think it's astringent when i made that video like so many people commented you know like people here in vietnam people in the diaspora you know and we're just like discussing it and people are throwing out like different definitions and then we kind of like landed on like you know one like astringent i think there was like a pretty big consensus in the in the comments and i was like cool <laughs> you know because in the beginning it was just kind of like what is this you know and like folks came in and contributed and i was like wow that was beautiful i like that community <laughs> yeah it was really awesome now how did you stumble into making content 
Uh, yeah, stumbled into it. <laughs> well, actually, oh no! Funny thing is, this was kind of intention, you know, like okay. of all the unintentional things in my life. <laughs> so, uh, a little background to that is, um, um, I met my wife Amanda maybe, um, not maybe three years ago <laughs> now, and uh, so we started dating during the pandemic, and uh, it would kind of mean? just through an app. Uh, but no, no, in in the U.S. or in Vietnam. Oh, in the U.S. Okay. Yeah, in the U.S. She's a uh, she's from Garden Grove, born and raised. You know, Vietnamese. Yeah, 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 Vietnamese. And uh, yeah, we uh, we met on an app during uh, the very beginning of, of COVID, and you know, you know, we were very bold. We just like, you know, you want to meet up, and we we're playing it real safe. You know, like I just hang out with my dad. You know, like she was living like in her apartment at the time, so we we agreed to meet up. And then we really hit it off. And then during those months, like uh, we were working online, I was teaching high school. Um, and 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 doing it online was was very tough. <laughs> and you know, her thing was also really tough online. She she worked for this tech company, and I just came up with this crazy idea, like let's just let's just take a year off, you know, like and and maybe I I feel like there was this kind of collective feeling like that amongst a lot of people during COVID where it's just like rethinking things about your life. And it's like, man, I work a lot, <laughs> you know, like what if I just take some time off and just thought about life or something, you know? And uh, I just kind of pitched this idea to her just kind of for fun. And then I just went home, crunched the numbers and I was like, you know what? We can do this. I think we can actually take a year off. Wait, how long were you guys dating before you came up with this idea? <laughs> uh, two days was that? i should have wrote that date down because that was like a pretty pivotal moment yeah but uh probably like six months or something yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah so long story short um we we ended up doing this trip and then that's when i started making content i started making content because we we, we took off we took off for a year to travel so we went to like all these countries after covid went to all these countries and i was like you know i want to make content you know, like I had this grand vision. We're gonna be like a travel couple. You know, it's gonna be super entertaining. You know, I've seen all these other travel couples, like they're killing it. It looks like they started going and they never came back. So now they're making so much money, you know? Yeah. Never took off. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, like nobody cared. Barely our family was even liking it. And I was just like, seriously? I'm like trying so hard to make these cool reels. Like, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> and then we. Uh, man, after so many countries, like it was my crazy idea to do 25 countries in a year. And we, we saved a lot. So we're like just so low budget on these on these uh, little trips we were doing to these countries. And um, we were exhausted. It, it just I had this fantasy and it just didn't come out <laughs> the way I thought, you know, and at the same time, I was trying to make content, which really annoyed Amanda she wasn't like super on board <laughs> and it ended up you know just us like being we, we stopped we finally stopped in Vietnam and we're like let's let's not travel anymore like just let's do like four months here like we didn't want to go anywhere you know and um yeah in in, in those four months um uh, I started making a little more content and Actually, that's when uh, maybe halfway through those four months, I was like, let's let's stay here because, you know, it's it's looking pretty good, you know, like comfortable me as a teacher, as an educator. I was like, there's opportunity here for me. There's a huge need for people learning English. Um, 
and my wife really wanted to be a life coach, you know, which was like really risky, you know, it's kind of like um, something that you got to mess a lot of time in. And I was like, it's a good idea, you know, like, let's give it a try. So then after that, we decided after this like crazy trip, we decided to just move back to Vietnam, you know, and, and, and kind of do a long term thing. That's why we're here now. And then this, the, maybe a couple of weeks in, I made a video just like, hey, we moved to Vietnam with no intention of it, like being blown, blown up or anything like like didn't even expect their family to even care very much. And, and this and is on, this is. This is on the same um this is on the same channel uh platform the same uh yeah. Instagram account. Yeah, it's on the same Instagram. Yeah, so then a lot of people started like commenting, paying attention to it. I was like, "Whoa, why this? I don't oh. I don't understand." Some things with the algorithm, you just I don't you just don't know. But like just that one video is like, "Hey, we moved to Vietnam." Like so many people jumped in, and a lot of people had an opinion about it. And I was like, "Wow." I spent so much time. I, I traveled the world, bro. You didn't care. <laughs> and then it's like now in Vietnam, the first image was like some Bung Tit Nung. Yeah. That was it. Everyone was like, yo, Bung Tit Nung. Is that it? Like, let me like this. <laughs> you know, like I was like, that's all I had to do. It's supposed Vietnamese food, you know? And from then on, like people started following. And then I was like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to tell my story here because I feel like it's, it's kind of fun. And, and, you know, I have things I want to share about being here as a Vietnamese American. And, um, you know, I just, I love telling stories in, in general. And then it just kind of picked up and it became like all these other things to the point now where like, man, so much love. I, I gotta, I gotta say like, I'm so touched by like a lot of folks from the community, especially the diaspora yeah. who are connecting, sending me messages like, dude, that thing with your dad, the thing with yeah. your family. Do that that uncle skit you did. I'm like, wow, really? You like it? Like, yeah, I'm I'm so touched by it. The small pivots are crazy when it happens. How many followers did you have until that point where you made that boom tit noon video? Oh my gosh, like less than two thousand. <laughs> uh, I cheated. I think I cheated because um as a high school teacher, you know, I taught 12th grade. And then right after they graduate, I'm like, hey, follow my Instagram. <laughs> I'm gonna do some cool stuff. You know, since most of them are my high school kids who are like my my original fans. So like big love to those guys. Wow. <laughs> and that's it for, for a long time. <laughs> you know, uh the uh, allure, the the sort of the touch touching aspect of the videos that you do is like it's not it, in the early days when you were uh putting out these stories about your life you could just feel the authenticity the real like you know this is not a creator that's polished but this is somebody who's talking from the heart and i think for me that was like the thing that sort of kept me going and you know following you because you could feel the um the emotions that were being put out there on screen for us to kind of connect and it's you know this aspect of not polishing and just kind of capturing the raw emotions is is what is what without trying you know it's just like but now i understand there's like you know a long time of trying to make travel videos and all this other experience of 
putting together things that don't work, the failure of that. And then you just go into something that's super simple. It's like, I just want to tell you about my, my little excursions here. Yeah. 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 And then, um, uh, I'm not sure where I picked it up. I think it's, um, I have to really, uh, maybe attribute it to my friends here, really good people who they're always encouraging me to like, dude, just be real, you know, just be yourself. Um, actually, you know what? I got to give credit to Amanda, to my wife. You know, she is, I wouldn't say my biggest critic, not the right word. I would say like, she's the person that holds me accountable the most, you know, she will really nitpick me about one little detail on a reel. If I say like, man, that food was so good. You know, she's like, you didn't actually like that food. <laughs> you know, like you thought it was okay. I'm like, you're right. I should fix it. I got to be like honest here, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, it's just like people around me who, um, who I'm really close to, who are just amazing people who, you know, are just really supportive of just like, just be, just tell truth, just be you. And then along that journey, you know, and very recently, you know, I decided like, they're, they're absolutely right as a creator. And, um, you know, however this ends up in the future, I don't know, but, um, I think my big thing is like, if I can just be real and, and just be true to myself and, and tell truth, um, it just makes my life easier <laughs> in the future. You know, if anyone asks me, like you're asking me now, like, what, what are you? What do you do? Why do you do this? It's like, yeah, let me just tell you exactly why I do this. This is always a genuine place that's coming from. You know, I'm not selling a story or, or anything. You know, this is just me. This is just my experience. Yeah, and it comes through. It really does come through in the videos that you make. Now, I, I want to go back to Amanda her transition into becoming a life coach from the tech world, you know, that that's a big jump. How do you find, how does she find clients in Vietnam? She's still trying to, oh, okay. <laughs> she's still trying. Yeah. So she is absolutely amazing uh, at what she does. And um, I have to be, uh, I have to say I'm very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To have such like a, a healthy relationship with someone who's like you know so skillful and um the the journey of like marketing yourself is like has has been a challenge yeah and, um, and i i bring this up because i think life coaches in vietnam are very it's a very very new thing probably for the community yeah actually i don't think that's going to be her intended clientele in the beginning um, I hope it will be later, but I think she's aiming to do that like internationally first. Um, but what's amazing about Vietnam is that um, all these all these things are happening. Yeah, like life coaching is a thing now. People are kind of seeking it now, and and there's kind of like pockets of it yeah. here that you hear about, and like there's like little events, conferences, or very small ones, but people are talking about it. And I feel like with Saigon and how fast things move, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in six months it's a, it's a thing, you know, and everyone's talking about it. And it's like, where are the life coaches? And I'm like, Amanda, be ready. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, now, now I, I, I want to know what exactly she does 
for your everyday grind? Because I know how difficult it is to make content and how, you know, we have to be on it all the time, even when we don't want to be doing it. How does Amanda and her work and her guidance, how does this work with your um, content creation life? Um, she is very good with like giving me space. That's number one, you know, like not, um, I guess like, you know, I, I don't have to explain to her and, and reassure her I'm going to be okay where I, where I am. If I'm going to be in a cafe somewhere for like five hours straight editing, you know, like no questions asked. She's like, she's like, you're just doing work, but she's very clear about communi communicating her needs, you know, like, so if it's like, Hey, you know, we need to hang out, you know, it's been a while, let's have dinner, you know, please put your phone away. We're not working, you know, boom, let's, let's just have us time. And I'm not so good at that. Cause I don't, I, you know, part of me is kind of like, I don't mind if you do that. Cause you know, you got to work too. So like, let, let me do it. You know, yeah. she, and then she kind of brings me back to like, no, 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 we can't do that. You know, let's focus on, on us now, you know? So she's really good at, at, at doing that with me. And she's also has, um, her, she channels her mom, <laughs> Vietnamese mom energy yeah. where, you know, she'll show up with like you know, a big glass of water, you know? eat your fruit, <laughs> like, you know, takes care of my nutritional needs, like things like that. So, you know, she's like, Hey, get your sleep, you know? So she's really kind of helping this, me, uh, keep an eye is, on my health. This is not the answer <laughs> I was looking for. I was thinking like, Here, <laughs> here's your, here's your schedule. I need you to be accountable and intentional. Here oh the, yeah. Here it's so much deeper. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you need to like live and like you know be healthy, you know, like yeah, that's her main thing. Yeah, but um, but yeah, 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 just all the human needs. Yeah, yeah. And now, you know, I'll transition over to this idea of the oh yeah, because you've done uh several clips, um one in particular, obviously, with uh with the designer, and this is a topic I talk about all the time, you know. I think that in America, in the diaspora, we have uh, an emerging sense of pride with wearing the oh yeah, especially for men. I think for women, it's always been sort of like okay to to wear it anywhere, you know, weddings and you know all these wonderful events. But for men, it's becoming a trend that you know we saw in the last three years. And I want to wear it everywhere, you know. I I yeah. just want to yeah. oh yeah. But I don't, I get pushback from some of my friends who've lived in Vietnam for a long time. And they, they said, it's not appropriate. So I want to get your kind of, your because you've lived in obviously both countries now. And you have probably like a, a deeper, richer understanding as a result of talking to a lot of people. What do you feel is sort of the appropriateness? Can we wear it anywhere we want, anytime we want? Or are there kind of parameters to this? That's so interesting because... I think there are parameters mm. and I don't know if those parameters are like having to do so much with tradition. Cause I feel like here in Vietnam, um, I have shown up in Aoyai at places, you know, full of people, you know, who live here. Um, and I don't think they give me like weird stares or anything, but they're kind of like, okay, that's interesting. You know, like he's in an Aoyai, <laughs> you know, no, none of the men are in Aoyai, 
you know, I made a few women in it, you know, and I'm so happy wearing it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I can't really speak so much on on all the parameters. I, I have been told sometimes, like, what colors are appropriate for certain things. Like, don't wear white. Don't wear black at these things. Don't co- don't go to a wedding in a black aoyai, mm. you know? And people are explaining things to me, you know? And, and then someone's like, wait, no, that's a Mekong thing. And I'm like, okay, I have, I have oh, no wow. idea. You know, I would wear any color. Yeah. Like, I have no idea. Um, so people are, are kind of educating me on it, but um, I don't know, like I said, like what is tradition and what is just kind of like, it just norms it's just weird now. Don't do that. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't know. And I feel like coming back, I am kind of this like very enthusiastic kind of Vietnamese American coming back, like let's embrace it, you know, yeah, let's yeah. wear it everywhere. And, and, and I, I don't know how widespread it is, but I do see a lot of young people wearing it and making it look good. You know, like, like I, I do feel it's, it's kind of coming back with the younger generation, like younger guys, but I, I don't know how widespread it is, but I'm happy to join it. Yeah. I, I, uh, was talking to a friend of mine, Sophie Baochang. Um, yeah, Sophie. Night. Yeah. You know, Sophie, shout out to Sophie, mommy and me, uh, we're yeah. talking about that and we're like, we love wearing it because it's so much easier to look good than regular clothes yeah. you know you got to wear designer clothes or whatever you gotta like really spiff it up but when you put on yeah, it just simplifies everything you don't have to worry about matching you you just put that thing on and it's like now we're we're set the tone is set yeah yeah and you can rock some like nice shoes with it and yeah. like yeah it's, it feels good and yeah it's, it's so elegant and at the same time yeah. you know fun and 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 free yeah i love it yeah but it's, it's you- a shame there, there needs to be more. Yeah, but more. in America, like it, it's not as it's just weird when you're out in public in places that are not a Vietnamese gathering. You know, like if there's a premiere, a film premiere, or whatever, it's you just can't like show up in an Aoyai, but you should be able to, right? It's it's you a should. garden. Yeah, why not? Other cultures do that. Yeah, but there's like this connotation to wearing it because it's like. Uh, you know, is it a cultural event? Is it not a cultural event? Is it a formal event? Not a formal event? But it's really just a piece of clothing if you think about it, right? But there's this all of this meaning that's stacked on top of the actual garment that, you know, that I want to kind of break the barriers and wear it as much as I can. But at the same time, you know, there's this fine balance of like not appropriating it for I don't know, common use or it's the weirdest thing. And and I think there's a lot of gender sort of uh, parameters that are involved in, you know, for men and women, there's just very different uses for, for the Aoyai. Right. Right. And, and yeah, I, I really want to dig into that. You know, like, I, I just don't know, like, I, just like I told you about how I don't know what the traditional rules are about when to wear it when not to and what colors you should wear i don't know why it what was the transition out of it for men like why did men stop wearing it yeah or were and, they ever really allowed to wear it from the get-go like yeah you know uh- this episode is brought to you by Songkai distillery my only go-to gin company established in 2018 Songkai distillery is vietnam's first gin distillery founded by daniel Nguyen a Vietnamese American from Southern California. No matter how many people I have at my parties, we are always pouring Songkai Jin. 
Songhai Jin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Songkai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. Songkai prides itself in Vietnam from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. Songkai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. Um I've had a, a, a oh yeah designer from Saigon come on and we talked a lot about this in Vietnamese. Um, but it's still unclear to me um, if we can break the barrier, if it's allowed to, if it's, you know, it, do we do we shatter this sort of this wall of whether it's appropriate or not to wear it whenever we feel like it? Like, I want to go to the, you know, I want to go to certain places like, you know, fancy dinner. I just want to put that on and I just want to go to dinner with my girlfriend, you know, and just hang out. But I don't know if that's appropriate. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where like, let's just do it. <laughs> See what happens. You know? Yeah. It's like we can normalize it. Right. Yeah. Someone has to make those steps. Right. To like kind of, you know, be okay with people asking questions and maybe those yeah. weird looks. And then it might surprise us that people are like, hell yeah. You know, like, that's awesome that you're wearing that. And it's like, okay, cool. You know, I thought this might be weird, but, you know, now it's, now it's nice. Yeah. Now I have like five in my closet. Yeah. And I'm yeah. Like, yeah. But it's it's actually like really hot here in Vietnam. So I'm like, I need to find better fabric or something. Like, yeah, I feel like it, it might even be better wearing in California in the winter. Yeah. yeah so, I have, uh, I have eight now. I have eight guys now. And, uh, you know, I just went to a that event a few weeks ago and I was talking to this uh, tattoo artist, uh, Bob, and he's an old school guy. He's a little older than me. And he's in his probably early fifties, but we were talking about the Aoyai because we were all in Aoyais and like he, his Aoyai was beautiful. And I was really proud of the one I was wearing and we we're talking about it. And he goes, I got this idea. You can't like always wear the same one, you know, you can't, you know, they get old because you can't keep showing up in the same one. You know, sometimes you only own four or five and you just go to all these events in Orange County. You can't like, he goes, he has this idea at his tattoo shop to put up like a rack and he'll put his old ones on that he doesn't want anymore. And you can swap them out because men's sizes Ooh. are sort of universal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I swap. Oh yeah. I like I swap. It. It's such a yeah. brilliant idea. You That's know, awesome. you no questions asked, go in, swap one out, pick up a new one. And, and, you know, you just kind of like recycle them through. It's just what a beautiful concept. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Like now that I think about it, you know, if like that was taking off and like more people felt comfortable about it, man, I'm just imagining like possibilities, you know, like how cool designs would get, Yeah. you know, and like, um, you know, people matching it with like certain pants and shoes and like, you know, just like the, there's, I mean, it's just a piece of fabric, but I think the possibilities are endless. It'd be really awesome to see what people do with it when we're allowed to. It's just like, you know, when we're back at like, you know, seeing it as something that we're proud of, that we want to, you know, yeah. continue to carry on as a culture, as a custom. Yeah, it's just like endless possibilities. Yeah, you know? but it, it's even, it goes beyond even carrying on this tradition because they're, 
might not have been a tradition for men wearing aoyai outside of funerals and weddings, right? So it's like, I want to go to a nice restaurant here in LA and I want to wear, you know, I want to wear something that looks like a designer. Like it's like, so my mother in Vietnam before 1975 was an aoyai maker. She was, she made them like people, women would come to the shop. She had about like 10 seamstress working for her in Saigon. And she was in that world for very many years. And then she came to America in 1975 and then got into window coverings, you know, making draperies. So it's like sort of transitioned out and she hated making, oh yeah, 50 years later, my mom last week just made my, oh yeah, for the first time. So after 50 years, She's never made an oh yeah. She just made the first one after 50 years for me. And it yeah. is, you know, I went out and got like a stretchy uh, blue, dark blue denim. And I put gold uh, knit uh, fabric buttons on it. And it looks straight dope, right? It's just such yeah. a beautiful <laughs> uh, thing that I now want to wear at an LA restaurant. I want to go out and wear this. And, you awesome. know, and it's just like, okay, that is not a an outfit that you would wear to an LA restaurant. But I want to start doing that because I'm yeah. so damn proud of like the way it yeah. looks and you can yeah. wear it out at a restaurant. People be like, Oh, what's that? You know? I think um, there's some momentum, you know, hearing you say that, you know, and hearing people you've met, you know, and like, yeah, you, you said like maybe in the past for a long time, there was no tradition of doing that. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, like it's, it's, it's normal that cultures evolve. continue to evolve and like some things that were just not very popular become suddenly popular and like a symbol, a new symbol that people could, you know, like share, right. Something that we can all share is, is, is this, is this thing that we we always knew was part of the culture, but like we never adopted it until it's like, wow, now it's like so nice and cool. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about it. Um, I, you know, with my designer friend here, uh, 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 he talks about the same thing, you know, here in, in, in Vietnam about normalizing it again. Yeah. And he's normalizing actually like the traditional one. You know, he's very much about like the old fashioned style you know, solid color, like, you know, just the cut and everything. And like, he talks about how uh, beautiful and elegant, like the traditional cut, the traditional style is, and it's very recognizable. He told me that um, it's always been like just one big piece of fabric. They just uh, sew on the arms, right? I didn't know that. And he said, you know, that makes it very indistinguishable from other uh, traditional uh, men's or you call it dresses or like costume um and yeah there's, there's this very symbolic of vietnam and he's like you know we're, we're we're gonna try to bring it back like let it get seen again um and like i said i i see young people now you know embracing it here wearing it again you know young guys and like with awesome shoes and like you know like yeah. one up or whatever it is like yeah it, it's happening and it, it's so cool to see, you know, it's, it's, um, it's cool to see what the new generation is. Um, I want to say like readopting or, you know, exploring that's already been there. You, you know, who like, the, they're bringing to the forefront, you know, who the new generation is Gen Z. No, it's you. <laughs> you. 
when you say the new generation, you're just describing, you just describe oh, all these things. And I'm like, this is you. You're the oh, one. I know, bro. I'm I know. But <laughs> we, we aren't that young, but we are the new generation. We are, are the, the new generation. You yeah. know what? Yes, we, we are. are the, yeah, we got to yeah. own that, right? Because you're you describing all these things. <laughs> you're describing all these things. I'm like, you're describing <laughs> the videos that you make, you know, being okay with all of this stuff and, and kind of bringing it beyond because i'm sure that the young people in Viet young men in vietnam are not wearing our eyes and thinking about the implications that we are because we're having to like we're having to like kind of negotiate in our brain what the international world looks at the way we practically use it for right the oh yeah and 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 we're like living on the edge of that sort of like that the way people are are viewing us but, and people in Vietnam are like, we're Vietnamese. It doesn't matter. We're, we go to wedding funerals. We go, we go to certain events and we wear the Yai. But for us, I'm like, I'm trying to like really infuse in this conversation. I'm going to start wearing up to, to, to dinners. I'm going to start. I have a, I have a birthday dinner tomorrow night. And my mom just finished this out. Yai for this big that I have for this weekend. I might just bust it out and be like, go to the restaurant with like 10 people, Vietnamese people at this Japanese izakaya restaurant. And wear it and just be like, what's up? I'm just going to wear it. <laughs> nice. Well, what does your mom think about you? My mom said to, my mom said to me uh, a year or two ago when I started to wear, oh, yeah, more. She said, um, men don't wear, oh, yeah. We oh, only, this is <laughs> only for when you get married or yeah. back in the old country you know uh in the north you know you wear the all black for a funeral or you wear all white for a funeral but that's not really oh yeah so there's all of these sort of um and she's really surprised how into this i am you know i'm just really you know it's I, it's one thing that's part of this vietnamese podcast for me the lifestyle of you know this uh uh this push for yeah. for uh the external the visibility, the physical visibility of who we are. And, you know, yeah. maybe it's not such a big deal in Vietnam to hundred million people, but like to the ones that are like living out here in, you know, satellite divisions of the Vietnamese culture, the diaspora, it, yeah. it takes on a whole new thing for, for me, especially. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. It, it reminds me of, um, <clears throat> cause my, with uh, what my wife Amanda was just home recently for that, you know, in Garden Grove in Little Saigon, and um, I don't remember it ever being that big. You know, I had attended a few times. I volunteered at Bolsa Grande, you know, at the festival, and like I saw some, like the the concerts we had there. You know, that was big for us back then, but like it was pretty small still compared to Vietnam, of course. You know, Vietnam was massive. And then Amanda went back, you know, she grew up in Garden Grove and she said, man, this year was huge. It's huge. It was huge. Like, you know, all over the place. And like, there was like tons of kids in Ao Yai, mm -hmm. you know, like my, she was like, yeah, we're going to temple. And I was like, what? Isn't that like midnight? She's like, yeah, they got like midnight temple. It's like crazy out here. And I was like, that's cool. Is that something new? This like new energy, this new momentum. It is. I don't know. What, I don't remember hearing that when I was younger. It's new. It's new. That's awesome. That's amazing. The kids today are 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 
surrounded by pride, which is so beautiful to watch. You know, it was at the OC fairgrounds and there's tens of thousands of people that come in through that door over that weekend. And everybody, you know, is, is having a good time. And, you know, I, I know it can't be because I took my my own kids. I, it can't be fun for the parents to, 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 to do this. But I thought about while I was there, it was like, this is the new tradition. This is what we do. We go to uh, we go eat. We go to the fairgrounds. This is what my kids are going to be doing with their kids many, many, many years from now. We're going to celebrate that here in the United States at this OC fairgrounds because that's like the Mecca. And there's all these like little booths and there's like a village, a little village that, uh, you know, they, they it's a makeshift village that has all these that uh, symbols and part of like village living. Um, and so I know that there is not going to be a year that, you know, if we're in, in town that we won't go to it, we have to go to it and we go with other families and it's a, a tradition that I didn't really have growing up, you know, as a teenager, when I was able to drive, I would go with me, my brother and I, we would go down there and, you know, try to look for girls and, you know, ha have a, you know, uh, a good time <laughs> as teenagers, but it was not in my family uh, plans to, to spend it. Um, and Same. it was not, it just wasn't yeah. there. Now it's different. It's like, this is what we do every year. My kids expect it. And we, we, they love dressing up in a now. Yeah, I too. Nice. It's, it's such a, a, an amazing thing that's happening in, in the Vietnamese world today. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that's so that is kind of like um, uh, something that's been picking up momentum, right? Because, yeah, like you said, I remember growing up, I, I didn't know much about it. Yeah. You know, it was a trip that my family did, you know, from 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 the valley driving down to uh, we call it something that. <laughs> oc area that's a crazy that's a crazy <laughs> thing too the santana like that i can get into that like i could talk about that for an hour because there's implications to that santana you know there's a, a specific period of time when people uh, came and it was never little saigon it was never Whitmanta or anything oh, like that it was always okay. santana the santana and santana is not little saigon it's not in that area but yeah, the early yeah. the first wave called it santana it was the craziest thing. But anyway, I have some other things I wanted to talk to you about. But the, that that word Santana is like for you to say that is like history, it's history yeah. deep history yeah. of, of, of Santana. Mm. Santa Ana. Santa Ana. Yep. Santana. And there's nothing. There's no shops in Santa Ana. There's no anything. Why? Why did they call it Santana? Why did everybody call it Santana? You know, it's the craziest thing that early wave. Yeah. called it that you know it, yeah it, or uh, uh, yeah i can't figure it out but one day I'll, I'll talk to some historian about this uh yeah very interesting a... detail about orange county yeah which you can with the history you can unlock yes like word right word, and the community yeah. that uses that word like oh you use this word oh i know what you are i know i know what you yeah. experience oh, you i can identify who you are oh, just from that word right? Right. just from the word because not everybody uses that word you know if you came mm -hmm. in 85 or 90 that that word's gone. You don't you know say the little Saigon home, or you go the bosa. They call it bosa, you know. So that's another wave of you know the bosa. You know, so it's a it's just it has another context. To wow, it. fascinating. You it took to another level because recently I I've been talking about a lot of language stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, there's this clear kind of like 
1975, pre pre 1975 vocabulary. And then like post 1975 yep. in our language, you know, I'm going to say our language, the Vietnamese language, which clearly is, you know, uh, not a monolith. Right. Um, but now you're talking about this history within the Vietnamese language in the diaspora. Yeah. <laughs> That's my blow to me, you know, that there's like a evolution of that even like within the diaspora. Yeah. That's crazy. Chris, uh, there's another Chris, Chris Tran from Little Saigon Official. Yeah. Shout out to Chris. So when I think of, and I've talked to Chris about this too, because he brought it up with me a, a few months ago about this idea of Santana. But when you think about Santana to Bolsa to Little Saigon, right? Because now a lot of people are using Little Saigon. And now Chris is making Little Saigon cool again, or he's yeah. establishing a clear line of this new generation that little Saigon is like the Mecca of the diaspora. And mm -hmm. that's the beauty of this uh, sort of like this journey, this evolution of Vietnamese culture uh, in California and so Southern California. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful. I, I was literally just looking through his merch today. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's dope. I want yeah. that sweater. You know, I want that sweater. Like, yeah, he's, he's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome so seeing what he's doing. You know, um, your language skills has opened up this ability to communicate with your parents. And I think about, uh, and I've talked about this for years, that can you imagine all of our friends who don't speak Vietnamese very well and their parents don't speak English at all? And you think about the lives, the intricate details that the two sides are missing, right? The kids yeah. and the parents. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's actually so heartbreaking when I think about some of my friends that they there's no way to understand what the other side's feeling because of the language barrier. And it's uh, they communicate in very uh, elementary English or Vietnamese with each other to get by. You know, for you, somebody who's now studied the language so well and you understand both sides uh, very well and you can think in your mind, do you, have you uncovered a new understanding of your mom and dad because of your language skills? Or do you think that sort of like, however you've always communicated hasn't really grown much? Oh no, it's absolutely changed. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I felt... Like I was pretty fluent compared to a lot of my friends growing up because of circumstances. Um, but it was a very service level. I can't imagine like having the depth of conversations I've had with my mom and my dad in the last maybe like 15 years, speaking the Vietnamese I spoke as a kid, you know, still. Um, and, you know, having gone to Hanoi, I studied Vietnamese there. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned how to write and I learned how to read there because they made me come every day in the morning to teach me that they heard my spoken Vietnamese and they're like, you're good. You're fluent. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't read or write, you know? And they're like, nah, you're good. You know? And then like a couple days, I think into my Vietnamese class in Hanoi, I wrote an entire essay with no yell. <laughs> and I was just watching my professor collecting these papers and he's just like, whose is this? I was like, Dude, I told you, I don't know any y'all at all, you know? 
And then they're like, okay, you're coming in early every morning and then taught it to me. And I was like, you know, they were, they were amazing teachers, by the way. And then after like uh, maybe two weeks, I, I, I could read, you, got it. you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm just reading signs. Like, oh my God, I can read that sign. I can, can read this newspaper. I don't know what it means, but I can read it. Um, and then it kind of just took off from there, you know, and then like, you know, just sitting in on a bunch of conversations. And then I came back to Vietnam after the program. I lived here for four years from 2011 to 2015. I taught English here in, in Saigon. I had a, a Vietnamese ex-girlfriend for three years. And um, we spoke Vietnamese all the time. So, you know, just that evolution coming back to my, you know, talk to my parents and, and, you know, during that time too, talking on the phone with them, I knew it was getting better. I knew it was getting better. And I was talking to my dad about like politics, history, philosophy, because my dad is a very intellectual guy. You know, and I, I got a lot of it from him, but I was never really able to talk to him about yeah. that stuff, you know? And then now we get so deep, so deep. Like, and, and, and even though me and my dad still have this very, like, I don't, I don't want to say cold, but it's like very kind of distant. Like we don't hug, you know, we don't say these intimate things with each other. Our love language was maybe like, Hey, time for time to eat, you know? But now our love language is like, let's talk about philosophy, mm. history, current events. You know, I could talk about this stuff with him. And then with my mom, you know, very different. My mom is deeply spiritual. She's very religious. She's a Catholic, goes to church every day. Um, but, you know, I talk about that stuff with my mom. And it goes so deep. And we talk, you know, I could talk with my mom for hours. And luckily, me and my mom all already have a very intimate relationship yeah. like she's always very close to me and i've always felt really safe to talk to her about anything yep. even when i was a kid but now it's just like man we go deep <laughs> you know i was like mom i gotta go <laughs> you know like i gotta like you know over here it's like lunchtime i'm like i gotta go eat mom you know and like so we get we get so deep and, and i i really have to feel like you know the language does so much and and i i, I hate to say you know like you know you gotta learn the language you know i, I don't want to shame people in the community and and you know even amanda like my wife she doesn't really speak it she doesn't really speak vietnamese and and you know i'm not gonna like bug her every day about it you know we're actually here in vietnam it's like good opportunity to learn you know mm -hmm. and, and from watching amanda and like watching some of my friends i'm like oh man there's like um something going on here you know, and I spoke about it on one of my reels because it hit me. I was like, oh, there's some kind of emotion involved here because if it felt good to learn Vietnamese and you've always kind of been like, oh, Vietnamese is fun. I love talking to my parents. You know, it's great. You know, like, oh, I don't know enough. Let me learn some more. You know, it's not that simple. There's some mm. kind of emotion. Barrier. There's a barrier. Barrier. I'm like, oh, man, like, I really want to talk about that. And this is like, I, I, I made it really clear on my reel. I'm like, you know, I'm not studying, even though I did get my master's in teaching language, you know, took a bunch of linguistics classes. This was never a thing that I, I specifically learned about, like the emotional barrier to people learning heritage language. I was like, oh, there is something there because emotion and trauma and family dynamics, that is very much, you know, Vietnamese experience, you know, for diaspora folks and here. 
you know, like just, and, 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 and now there's a, a different manifestation of that kind of, you know, complicated dynamic is the language. The language didn't blossom from that, you know? And I'm like, there's gotta be something like that going on. And, and a lot of folks like just opened up, you know, in this reel, there so many people were like, man, I think you got it. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel very uncomfortable when I speak Vietnamese. I feel really like, you know, weird memories of like, you know, trying to speak it. I feel so much shame and embarrassment, you know, and all these things. And I was like, man, and, 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 you know, yeah, it does relate to some theories and, and, and linguistic things I've learned where it's like, it, it's affects, right? It's like, if you didn't have a learning experience that was positive, like, you know, you lose mm -hmm. motivation, you're not going to keep learning it. And, and we start to develop an, uh, a separate kind of identity community almost where like Vietnamese is there, but kind of like, not really. And it's kind of become its own thing. And me as like, as a teacher and like, as, you know, an academic, I'm just kind of like, that's what it is. You know, I, I don't jump in here and say like, no, that's wrong. We shouldn't head in that direction. I'm just kind of watching it. This is kind of what's happening here. And I'm not here to make people feel bad, you know, but I could share my experience that it has really helped. It has really helped. Yeah. And now, you know, like, being um, a creator that's talking about language, talking about these things. And I even made a course. <laughs> I made a pronunciation course yeah. that was really scary to do. Um, and, 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 you know, and I'm just kind of like maybe, you know, moving people maybe in that direction, but like not saying like you have to yeah. don't worry about it, but if you want to, it, it, it it's, it's there. You know, um, no, no, no. Let's move people in that direction. Why? Why not? Why would you? Why would you dance around this? <laughs> where? Where can we find this course? Let's talk yeah. about. It. What's wrong with you, Chris? What's wrong? Why are you? No, no, no. Let's take my course. Goddamn it! Take Chris's course. <laughs> All right. Where can we find that course? Oh, it's it's on my it's on my Instagram. It's 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 the link like right on there. And um, yeah, it was a dream of mine. Mm. Long time had this conversation here in Saigon when I lived here. Uh, this is back in 2011 or 2012, sitting with my friend, Filipino. And I was like, dude, I'm going to make a course on how to teach Vietnamese because, man, I feel people needing it, you know? And I feel like back home, you're like, yeah, you can learn it. But I don't think it's that easy to learn. It's not All that right. accessible. I, I want to get into this. Um, the, I think there's... I think there's this really important thing to talk about in terms of how difficult and how easy the language is at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that. I've been teaching my children how to spell in English because you know they're five and six years old. And it is driving me crazy to teach them English. I teach them the word lost, L-O-S-T. And then I got to teach them the word post or host. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're like, I don't get it. Why is it spelled the same? You change the first letter, but why is it pronounced differently? All right. That shit does not happen in Vietnamese. So that's the easy part of Vietnamese. It's what you see is what you get. Right? There's never, yeah. there's 
never a time when you look at Vietnamese spelling and it's not spelled exactly to how you hear it, especially in the Northern dialect. The importance of the precision of the, the diacritics, the marks, the accent marks, and the way um, the consonants and the vowels fall in line with each other. It's monosyllabic. Yep. And it is very easy to read. And of course, you don't need to understand it, but to pronounce things perfectly, uh, if you keep practicing it, is very simple. You look at it, it's there's an instructive yeah. uh, aspect to this, which is it, it's pronounced yeah. the way you see it, not so yeah. in English. In English, it's all yeah. it's all over the place, you know. Crazy, it's, yeah. It's crazy, be because of the the amalgamation of you know French, uh, Latin, uh, Spanish, uh, hip hop language, like all kinds of <laughs> like, you know, yeah. language you hear from hip hop. I mean, it's it's all over the place, you know. Yeah. Um, but Vietnamese is very very basic, monosyllabic, and it's just it can only go one way. Now here's yeah, yeah. where it gets really nasty is the subtleties in the differences of the pronunciation of the intonations. And that's uh -huh. where it gets very hard for ears to pick up your ears to kind of, if you're not a native speaker for your ears to decipher exactly how this should sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is absolutely the challenge. Um, yeah, it's been crazy. Like kind of being both those worlds teaching yeah. English for many years. Um, and my focus has always been to teach English to Vietnamese people. So understanding Vietnamese, you know, their first language and like, you know, these things that are happening that make it kind of hard for them to learn yeah. English. And it's like, okay, I don't, I understand why that's happening because, you know, I speak Vietnamese and it's like, okay, let me help you with that. And then teaching Vietnamese, <laughs> you know, um, which I don't have like, you know, training in. And a lot of it is kind of, like my own experience and, you know, consulting with other people and like, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, just, just going off of what you said a little bit earlier about, you know, it being easier with the Northern dialect, absolutely true. But what I've learned is that even with the Southern dialect where mm, it feels like it's doing like kind of weird things that aren't matching with the uh the written script but there's still, still really predictable yeah still rules yeah, it's just rules it's just a different set of rules yeah and then you're like, okay i got this you know because um going back to uh my my class in hanoi man something's like uh happening with um my my feeling towards the southern dialect i'm very proud of it mm. and i think it's very very much a subconscious thing from when i was a kid it goes back to the emotion thing I live in the two dialect household. My dad speaks Northern dialect, but I was really close with my mom and my mom's family. So I think as a kid, I was just like, my brain just picked Southern dialect. You know, when I was in Hanoi, it was a lot of Northern dialect, a lot of Hanoi dialect, you know? And then I was like having to read out loud in class, you know, wow. and just reading this text. Like I refuse to read Northern dialect, this text. I was just reading Southern dialect. You know, my professor's like, all right, buddy. <laughs> it's like, I see what you're doing. That's fine. You can go ahead. You know, I see your trauma. Yeah, I was just like, you know, all the, yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, just all the, I don't want any zuz in here, you know, like, and it was just because like, I didn't want to lose that like intimacy I had with my dialect. That's my mom's my family, you know? And, 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 and then I realized that, like, um, you could do that. You could do that with the Southern dialect. You, 
you can read this hex in the sun dialect. It's like all the patterns are pretty straightforward still. You know, it's just like, it just, it'll do this. It'll be this yuh sound instead of a zuh sound, you know? And, 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 and that's so fascinating. And then with English, wow, very challenging. With Vietnamese learners, I have to teach them what's called the uh, international phonetic alphabet, which is like transcription. They have to transcribe English. So this is the symbols for actual sounds, you know, like, like you're um, saying earlier, like post, right? Post would have specific symbols so that, you know, the vowel makes a O sound, you know, it would be different from what you're seeing in English written script. You know, that's basically what you see in the dictionary, right? This is actually how you pronounce it. We were never really taught that as kids, you know, in the U.S. You just pick you know, it up. That, those weird symbols next to the word. It's like, what is that? That's yeah. how you pronounce it. Like, I don't even know what that means. It looks like a different language. Yeah, we, we had to teach that to uh, Vietnamese folks here learning English. Yeah, so it is such a different animal. Such a different animal. You know, we we have, have gotten into a lot of different things. And I could speak to you for hours, Chris, because I think we share uh a lot of uh you know sounds like your your my mom and your mom go to church every day Vietnamese Catholics and uh that's not normal it's uh it's but there's <laughs> there's these things that you and I share in our journey we, you know we have a, a deep fascination for the love of language oh yeah and all these things that are cultural but now I'm going to end with this question I, I'm starting to say it a lot and I, I I don't see any pushback but um OC Vietnamese food and Food in Vietnam. Controversy. (laughs) Controversy. (laughs) You know, and I've been to Vietnam uh, for the last 25 years. And, you know, I go back quite a bit. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that the Vietnamese food is not good. But I'm just saying that to me, OC Vietnamese food is is very, it's the beef, (laughs) the the, the ingredients, the produce here. It, it surpasses uh, anything in the world. You know, Orange County, Little Saigon, Vietnamese food is like uh, the best. It's, it ranks up there at the best. Now, I'm not saying like there's these food stalls that are on the streets of Vietnam and Hanoi and Saigon. Yeah, there may be some, some Mi Quang places, but it's still for me, the, the ingredients and the meats and, the, and, and all of the raw uh, materials that you put together, it just can't compare to, to Orange County. What do you think? <laughs> you cover food quite oh, a bit. You're expose me here, but <laughs> you know, I said earlier, gotta keep it real. You know, speak truth. And I gotta say, we haven't found pho here that okay. really hits a spot. Everybody says that. Man, yeah. And I, I come back to to California, and like first bowl of pho, I'm like, this is it. This is what I was missing. It's completely different. You know, like the beef here, the soup, like you know, and like just. I don't know. Maybe it's also the ambiance and like you know the, the 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 table setup that they got. It's just like, oh, this is it. But the pho is definitely different. The pho. We found it. Amanda both share that. You know, she being from Garden Grove, we both like, you know, have that consensus here. We're like, wow, why can't we find good pho here? We haven't found it. You know, other things are good here. Kampam, you know, lots of really. Uh, I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break, break, break down the pho thing. I'm gonna break it down. I'm yeah, gonna break it down. Go for it. <laughs> when you think when you think about the cost of food, right? You think about the cost, and it, it it all goes back to the cost of food. 
right? So if you want the sh- the like the high quality shit where it's like you're eating it and you know this is some dum da, you know it's deep in in flavor. You got to use good ingredients, beef bones that come from the United States and par- specific parts of uh, Northern California has a lot of cattle, and it comes from this well sort of established uh centuries long of breeding you know cattle that is made to be like the best quality in the world right so you are making broth from like the best shit up up here in in california and you bring it and you make it and you and you use the best ingredients for your fa so you get the gelatinized form of of you're sipping it if you yep. do that in Vietnam and you bring in the best cows, your bowl of pho would be like easily $20, <laughs> right? Yeah, easily. You over and, like, and how much is 20 bucks? And it's like, right? You, you, that's unheard of. Yeah. Like a $500,000. It'd be, people yeah. would be up in arms if you had a $20 bowl of pho. <laughs> it, it's like on, you know, you, you're eating a dollar, $2 bowl of pho. So the yeah. ingredients that you're eating it from, I don't know where they're getting the cows from, but you're not getting california beef and you're not getting australian beef you're getting beef from where are you getting this beef from you know you're getting yeah yeah, there's no way that anybody can compare the actual like raw ingredients of a bowl of pho from vietnam bowl of pho from little saigon it's impossible it's it's numerically impossible it's scientifically impossible i'm gonna i'm gonna like lean into that over and over and over it's just not possible to have the right price point or the right ingredients shipped into Vietnam. Now, flavoring, I think you can get away with certain things like what you said about bansel, you know, those are ingredients that you can, you know, technique and ingredients that you can get away with in Vietnam. But when it comes to pho or anything related to beef, that's going to be a high mm-hmm. bar. Now, when you get to pork, like you know, uh, you know, I'll give it, there's a, there's a lot of gum sing joints on the streets that are just like rocking, just killing it, right? But when you get to certain beef dishes, um, like bò tai chang in the U.S. or bò bè mong in the U.S., it's just impossible yeah. to like compete with. Yeah. And I can yeah. go on. The list goes on and on. I go deep into this whole <laughs> debate of, you know, it's just impossible. And mom's cooking. You know, I, I just got to throw that in there too because like my mom, whenever she made things like bún riu as a kid, Man, I'm like, mom, I love these meatballs. And like, that's all it took. You know, she's like, you like these? Okay, I'm going to make like this whole pot. It's just full of these meatballs. You know, all the real, they're just like huge chunks. You know, they're like baseball yeah. size. You can never find that here. You can't <laughs> you find know? it here. Yeah, you yeah, can't. It's, like, it's a lot of gas. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of gas. It's a lot of like the bologna meat here. And I'm like, oh, what is this? This is like too many things here. Like, where's the real? And I'm like, oh, it's so small. <laughs> you know, and you, and you know let me break that down. What is chat? What is real? It's <laughs> it's all in the cost of the food. The premiumness of the food again. Yeah, ja, it is. Chat ja is filler, filler meat, filler, filler meat yeah. and, and flour and, you know, a bowl, you know, to get the chat, ja, right? But when you talk about real, you're talking about eggs, you're talking about guts, you know, uh, uh, crab guts, you're talking about like raw material that's like higher in protein, real is higher in protein. But when you talk about jazz, yeah, it's like, it's a lot of filler stuff. So you can't find, you know, that kind of stuff at a home cooked bung reel uh, that your mom made when you're talking about the reel that 
the, how thick the, the the reel comes because you just see little floaty floaty things <laughs> in, in uh, uh, Vietnam with boom reel, right? And then you see a bunch of tomato and, and all this other stuff. But when we get it made from our moms, they're they're putting a lot of pork, a lot of eggs to make the real, you know, real. So you're getting a different level of protein and a different prof- flavor profile because it's just the way the cost structure is. Uh, home cooking versus street, ver- uh, what we c- can access protein-wise at, in, in California versus, you know, in Vietnam. Bottom line. Yeah. yeah. Different flavor, different thing. That's us, Vietnamese, but different flavors, just different different ways of doing it. Yeah, and uh, uh, things that we're inventing and putting our, our like, you know, Americanness into it, you know, the beef and, like, all of that. And, like, like I said, even, like, coming back and then having fun and just seeing the, the sriracha <laughs> on the table, yeah. you know, you know, just to set up the, 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 the number sticker on the, you know, chopstick holder and like, you know, the, even the spoon, you know, I'm just like, Oh yeah, I miss these white big soup spoons. We don't have that here in Vietnam. It's always the metal spoon. You know, I'm just like, Oh, it just yeah. feels very different. The soup spoon yeah. with the, with the notch. So it doesn't slip into the bowl. <laughs> like that, you just don't see those. And, and, but that all being said, I think there's a lot of innovation in Vietnam with the, with the cooking, you know? Amazing so innovation. That, yeah. You know, yeah. So there's that I'll give, I'll give Vietnam that there's no way. I think that uh, little Saigon can compete on that level because there's just not enough people that are innovating uh, at that level. There's so many restaurants in Vietnam that are innovating. So, you know, that's a different debate. You know, I think that the innovation in Vietnam uh, is definitely taking off and we are now importing some of these inventions from Vietnam. So that all being said, you know, I want to balance out the conversation by saying quality <laughs> ingredients, you know, technical things, you know, it, the old school things, you know, is is definitely little Saigon. But the new sort of the growth of, of Vietnamese cuisine, I think you can experience a, a lot of that in, in modern Vietnam now. Absolutely. Yeah. And even good burgers. They got good burgers, good pizza here. Good pizza, good burgers. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> they have a very unique. Uh, it's just different. Very different. But Chris, thank you so much. Um, you are a trooper, and uh, I look forward to more content. Uh, what's your handle? What's your Chris.tran.travels. Chris.tran.travels. And, uh, you know, I wish you uh, another decade or two of creating wonderful content that we can all share and grow from. I hope so, too. It's a lot of work, like you said, but it feels amazing amazing making people laugh and, and talk and discuss so yeah i'm gonna keep going yeah thank yeah, you thank you brother thank you chris thank you once again thanks kenneth thank you for listening to the vietnamese with kenneth win special thanks to Brittany tran to jane win Catherine win tina fam sydney jamie and crystal trin please find us on instagram facebook and tiktok at the vietnamese podcast